I really think that's an under the radar reason why the Ravens front office has been so strong is that they've been very skillful at maneuvering around the salary cap and, and managing the financial side of things in addition to just finding drafting good players. So the Ravens, once they pay Lamar, are going to almost have the ability to hit a reset button and shape the roster in a new and different way. They're going to have to get a younger, cheaper roster. So they're already setting themselves up to do so. Let's get into the real draft, our bunker draft. Here's, here it is. Peanut butter, frozen pizza, canned beans, cliff bars, pasta, cereal, toilet paper, applesauce, canned tuna, bottled water, ramen soup, and coffee. Welcome into the lounge. We have another action-packed episode here in which we're finally going to do our big draft, the bunker draft. But before we do that, we are going to talk some football and talk about the other draft, the, I, I guess the more important draft. I don't know. What do you think, Garrett? I don't know. I mean, the bunker draft is high stakes these days, <laughs> and there's a lot of interest in it. So, um, I, well, and it might be my, my uh, tour de force here, you know, my comeback story. You've been preparing uh, for this all your life? Kind I, don't, of. I don't know if people know this, but I've taken a couple L's recently <laughs> in, in drafts. So it's my time to shine. All right. So, uh, but before we do that, we want to get into a, a few emails that we got. Uh, as always, you can reach us at the lounge at ravens.nfl.net. We got this one a couple days ago, and it's a shame that we didn't read it before we talked to Brian McFarlane, but I hit Brian McFarlane back up via text message to get the answer. So this, this email comes from Victor Sutherland. He said, uh, gentlemen, first time emailing y'all, but I've listened to the pod for quite a while. Uh, he said, I actually tried to link up with Mink in London when we took that loss to the fluky Jags. That's not how you're supposed to do it. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think the big law, it's not a big, it doesn't work that way. It was, I put the loss in parentheses. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, that was a rough game. Anyway, uh, he said, I'm a huge Ravens fan, but I always get confused when it comes to the cap in regards to incentives. For example, the newest bird, a.k.a. Derek Wolf, reportedly has $3 million in base salary and up to $3 million in incentives. If he checks all of his boxes, is that just cash out of Steve's pocket, or does that affect what Eric can do shaping the roster? Basically, does that count against the cap? Right. So I hit up Brian McFarland after we had him on the podcast yesterday. Go back and listen to that one if you haven't done so already. And he said, incentives do hit the cap one way or another as part of the player's present cap number or as an adjustment on the following year's cap. So basically, if the incentives are, quote, likely to be earned, right, then they count on the present cap. And that's based on what they've done the year prior. Right. So like, let's say if it were games played, Right. And the incentive is he has to play at least 12 games. Well, you know, Derek Wolf is at whatever. He played 12 games last year. Right. So that's likely to be earned. Uh, if not, then they count against the following year's cap if they are reached, obviously. So there's some nuance there in how you kind of designate or, or what those incentives are and how they're designated and how that applies to the salary cap. Okay. Yeah. So kind of interesting. Yeah, it is. It is. And, uh, I've really, I mean, I just going back to that conversation yesterday, and I think fans who are into the salary cap, which I know a lot of our fans are, it just is a fascinating thing that you need to consider. And, and I think that we generally consider from a standpoint of how much money do we have to, to spend on certain guys. But 
there's just the management, the roster management piece of the equation is such an important and I, piece of, of building a team and building a roster. Like when you're thinking two years down the road, three years down the road, those are the main things you need to consider. Okay, Lamar Jackson is going to have a contract coming up. So you need to have that space able to pay a guy like that. And yep. as you're building it, those are all the little nuanced things that you need to take into account. And I think that Pat Moriarty uh, has done a fantastic job of that. Nick Matteo now is uh, doing a lot of that along with Pat. And I, I really think that's an under-the-radar reason why the Ravens front office has been so strong is that they've been very skillful at maneuvering around the salary cap and, and managing the financial side of things in addition to just finding drafting good players. And I think they've gotten better at that. You know, you see a lot of these flat contracts and what I've noticed in these, a lot of these deals is they're going to come, they're going to expire basically right around when you have to pay Lamar. Right. So the Ravens, once they pay Lamar are going to almost have, the ability to hit a reset button and shape the roster in a new and different way where they're going to have probably a, lot, a number of comp picks. Uh, they're going to have to get a younger, cheaper roster once, once that happens. So they're already setting themselves up to do so. And that's another reason why Lamar's MVP season was so huge for the organization is because it, it told you, Hey, there's no doubt that this is the guy, right? Mm -hmm. We're going to pay this guy. It's not like you have a situation where maybe like the Redskins, for example, were kind of caught in, all right, do we pay Kirk Cousins? Do we not? You know, how do you, do you, how do you build a roster around that when you're not sure, you're not sure about your most important player and whether they're going to be there long-term? I think the Ravens absolutely know that about Lamar Jackson after what he did last year, and that helps them shape the future. Well, to your point, I mean, that's kind of the worst place to be for yeah. an NFL team is in quarterback limbo. Not just looking for a quarterback, which is bad. Uh, that, you, <laughs> you know, you, you don't want to be in that spot. Uh, but to have a quarterback who you're just not necessarily convinced is that right. long-term answer because a lot of times you end up paying him just by nature of you don't want to go to reset because if you don't right. pay him, then it's basically back to square one and you reset. And then oftentimes teams end up paying that guy and it ends up being a bad decision. Um, yep. And so you can look around the league and see teams that, that have done that. Um, and that, you know, I don't want to go off on a full other tangent that is why I've always said, especially when we've had conversations and debates, uh, you <laughs> need, if you're paying a quarter, I think just think you need to think long and hard about paying a quarterback. In the you're NFL. a non-pay the quarterback guy. That's that's just well, who you are. Let's Cl be honest. Cliff Cliff jokes that I'm I'm a don't pay anybody guy, um, <laughs> <laughs> which that's not the case. My thing with quarterbacks is, if you're going to pay that quarterback, you just need to be sure that he is your long-term answer. That he is a not just a good player, not just he's a starting caliber player, that he is an absolute difference maker, potential Hall of Fame, uh, Super Bowl winner. Like potential that, Hall of Fame. Yeah, I seriously That's think a high so. High bar. It is a very high bar, but I seriously think that like those should be the considerations when you're talking about giving a quarterback a six year deal for $35 million a year. Like th those should be the kind of expectations that you have, because when you look at teams that have paid even really good quarterbacks, even really good quarterbacks, uh, it's hard to build a team when you're paying a guy that much money. And I don't want to go down the whole path, but just look at quarterbacks who have been paid even really good ones. And after they get paid, it's hard to win. Aaron Rodgers won Super Bowl. Russell Wilson won it before he got paid. I mean, these are guys who are Hall of Fame quarterbacks. It's still hard to win when you're when you're dedicating that much money to your quarterback. So yeah. All right, next question. You, you're too long on that, too long. <laughs> All right, next, next email comes from Tyler Gross. 
And uh, he says, hey, guys, with all the free quarantine time on my hands, I had a couple things I wanted to ask your opinion on. First, why did we not pull the trigger on DeAndre Hopkins? Uh, I think there's probably 30 other teams around the NFL that are wondering how that deal came about with Bill O'Brien. Uh, so I don't think the Ravens are the only one in that boat. I don't know how that happened. But there were a lot of salary cap implications with that. You know, I mean, talk about guys who got paid. New Hopkins got paid. So you're taking on a lot of money there. But anyway, uh, next point, next question. What do you think is the most important aspect of being a great GM? My first thought was talent evaluation slash draft. But I read a few articles saying over time the draft is really a crapshoot with hits and misses, et cetera. So, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of think that it's what we're speaking of now is it's overall roster management, salary cap management, how you kind of balance. I mean, yeah, I think how you balance those kind of decisions is the more important job of being a GM than I would say the draft. Because the draft, I mean, there's just so many people involved in that, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you have all of your scouts that you lean on heavily, your college scouting director, all of that. And every, every aspect of it has a lot of people that you lean on. But the draft in particular, I think, is like that. Uh, you know, I mean, Eric DaCosta, even before he was elevated to GM, he was in large part kind of running the draft, and Ozzie was making the final picks. And, of course, Ozzie was watching tape, and he was involved. But Eric was kind of running that. Ozzie was doing this overall big picture roster management, right? And he did a masterful job of that. Now Eric has stepped into that. And I think he's just carried that to- the torch in that way. The other thing that I think people might not know about Eric since he took over as GM is that he's taken more of a leadership role across the entire organization, right? Not just kind of the football side of things, but, uh, you know, he's, he's involved in, in stops even in our meetings sometimes, which we're always like, what up, you know, and like, <laughs> right. has ideas, has ideas for us. Um, so I just think that's, Eric's yeah. done a, an amazing, amazing job in, in so many different ways. I would say how you put all those pieces together from a big picture standpoint is probably the most important part of that job. Well, kind of what you're talking about is, is culture setting. And I think that that is another piece of the equation. And I don't just mean setting a culture in terms of having a place where people work hard and want to come to work, which I think that the Ravens have done a fantastic job of that. But I think that within the entire scouting operation, you need to have a system and a formula and a process in place because it's not, Eric isn't just watching tape on 300 guys and making the picks in a vacuum on draft weekend. He is entrusting these scouts who have gone through an entire process, who have worked from the bottom to work their way up from low level scouts to then area scouts and and gone through that whole process. He trusts his, you know, college scouting uh, director, Joe Ortiz, uh, all of it. Like there's a culture process that needs to take place. And Ozzy established that. And to your point, Eric has continued that, put his own twist on things. Uh, but I think that that is something that is such a critical piece of the equation. Um, yeah. And also, in addition to talent evaluation from a player standpoint, it's talent evaluation from your own staff standpoint. Like knowing which scouts are good talent evaluators is a really important piece of the equation and finding guys that you, you can trust to go and, and ask a whatever, a 27-year-old scout to go down to the Southeast and scout the SEC and say, all right, find us, find us these next, next great players. Find us the next Brandon Williams. Find us the next whoever. Um, that's what scouts are 
entrusted to do all across the country and the Ravens have some of the best and and that's because they've been trained in this system uh and Eric does a great job of building them up so I think that there's a lot more that goes into it than just having an eye for talent yeah all right last email here comes from John Blevins he said uh, I'm a native Baltimorean and currently live in Middle River slash White Marsh I've been an avid lounger since day one we appreciate it yes I, I always love the day one listeners yeah, one that Justin Tucker we had on first episode. Justin Tucker was the first episode. Good memory. Yes, he should feel very honored. Uh, we're gonna have to tell him that. Oh, I'm sure he will feel very. He definitely will take that. Of all the things that he's done in his career, making his first appearance or being the first guest on the lounge, no question, that's <laughs> at the top of the list. Absolutely. Uh, so John says, I absolutely love you guys. I crave each and every new episode. I also enjoy reading what you guys write every week. Well, that's if you continue to write Garrett, what you don't do anymore. Um, did you read but- mailbag today? <laughs> I yeah, wrote that's, mailbag. All, that's, that's it. That's the only thing. And that's a change from the norm. I, I just like, you know, it's fun to do mailbag on a written format. Cause I just like to remind people that I still know how to write. I still know how to operate <laughs> a keyboard. I, I have been enjoying the written mailbags. It's, well, it's, it's kind of cool. Except, um, for, except for the week where I just duplicated all of your questions and yeah, you're an idiot. <laughs> I can't believe I did that. <laughs> you're an idiot. You I just read it wrong and answered all the, the questions you had already answered and then had to redo it. It was terrible. Yeah, you're a moron. Anyway, uh, John, back to John's email. He said, uh, "I enjoy reading what you guys write and your eternal love for beer, even pumpkin beer." But he's a double IPA guy all day. He says, I "Heavy like, stuff." I like deepest. All right, I, I like deepest. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, said, side note, I saw Mink at BWI in October and he wanted to come and say hi, but he, he didn't do it and he felt, he felt dumb that he didn't come si- say hi. Well, hello, John. <laughs> Anybody who sees us in public, I, I don't get much of this because Garrett is our on-camera guy, right? So people don't really know what I look like. I keep a low profile, right? Garrett gets hit up all the time, <laughs> gets free drinks at bars. If I ever want to go out drinking, I go out drinking in Baltimore with Garrett. Because Garrett, <laughs> he's up there. He's getting free drinks. He's signing autographs. He's, I mean, Garrett's a star here. I'm just a peon. But anyway, I appreciate it, John. And do say hi. <laughs> how, how many autographs have you signed in your life, Garrett? I don't know. I don't know. That's that's not. Yeah. Just keep on moving on with the email. That's not what this is about. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I my, the the funniest thing, and it it has happened a couple of times. It's the worst. If someone's like, man, I love your stuff for the Ravens. I'm like, thanks, man. And they're like, all right, all right, Ryan, keep up the great work. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, <the> no. <laughs> That's the best. Didn't you have somebody that had like a really good autograph on their football and they wanted you to autograph it too? And you were like, I, I just can't. Yeah, it was Jonathan that. Ogden. It was Jonathan Ogden. And I was like, I can't. And then it happened again at the Pro Bowl. It was Harbaugh. And I was like, I, that, th- you have John Harbaugh signed shirt or hat or whatever it was. And I'm just going to ruin the value of this. And you're going to put it in your basement or whatever. And people are going to be like, the Harbaugh autograph's awesome, but who's this other guy? Why? Right. Why did he- Five years from now, you look at that autograph, you're like, who was that? And I, gosh, that was a bad decision. So I always feel bad if someone asks me to sign something like that. But I always say, guy, trust me on this. You will be happy that I don't sign it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. All right. Back to John. Sorry, John. This, <laughs> just too many tangents here. It says, I'm completely blown away by Eric Tocasa's aptitude for handling the roster and salary cap since he's taken over. He's really mastered the office of general manager after so many years of training under Ozzy. I knew he would be good at it, but I could not have imagined the type of moves he's made in just over a year on the job. So really nice email from John. Couldn't agree more. Eric has been fantastic. Uh, everything he, tur- he touched turned to gold last year. <laughs> 
And so far, it looks like a lot of the same. I mean, when the Brockers deal fell through to then quickly jump on Derek Wolf and get him at the price point that he got him at, I thought was a, a great move. And I also wonder, a side note about that, I wonder if because his contract, now we just talked about the incentives and I don't know how they'll factor in, but could the contract for Derek Wolf offset the Seth Roberts signing, let's say, or maybe a peanut, right, in terms of your comp pick, and now the big deal that Michael Pierce got for $9 million average per year, you don't lose that pick, right? Right, right. The Brockers and Pierce would have canceled each other out, but now maybe this this Wolf deal cancels out a lower comp pick. So Right, right. So then I think that's another say, added layer. Maybe it's a fourth. Could you get us for Michael Pierce, potentially? Maybe. That's yeah. in that range a of third, a fourth, fourth round? Depending on how he plays. Right, right. How and much he plays. Healthy. Yeah. That's so anyway. an interesting. That's an interesting dynamic. And and again, just to reiterate, I think that goes back to overall roster management, and that's something that the Ravens have done so well. So, yep. um, I mean, we talk a lot about roster management, but a big piece of that is the draft. So let's let's talk a little bit about the draft. We did this uh, with Ken McCusick uh, yesterday, which I thought was good. Uh, but I just think it's a it's a good time to talk about to dive a little bit deeper into these options for the draft, and also talk about some of the options. Uh, you know, how the Ravens could approach it from a position standpoint, like what, what makes sense in the different rounds. So let's start with the obvious one, the low hanging fruit, which is linebacker in the first round. So Ken says yesterday, if you listen to the podcast with him and Brian McFarland, that he doesn't think that taking Patrick Queen or Kenneth Murray would be worth the, worth the value there. The value for either of those players is not there at number 28. Peter Schrager has a mock draft today on NFL.com where he has both of them gone before the Ravens are on the board. And he says that he talked to uh, an NFL executive who said that Kenneth Murray was one of the most impressive interviews that he's ever seen at the Combine. And that, was, that goes back to what I was saying when I came back from the Combine where I had the attitude of, is this, is this guy real? He just seems too good to be true. And I think there's going to be teams that fall in love with the person in addition to the player. And that might be the Ravens. So – I don't know. I, you know, when Ken said that yesterday, I, I, I wasn't sure if I'm on the same page with him. And as I read things like this from Schrager, I, I also wonder if, if one of those linebackers are there, I'd have a really, really difficult time not taking them at number 28. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, but I, I, I do think there's some merit to his point. You know, I, I think that that is legitimate. And of course it matters who else is on the board, right? The question is, Let's say there's a stud uh, outside linebacker, pass rusher, guy that you feel like could step into a Terrell Suggs role. Now, the question of that is what happens to Jalen Ferguson because I thought he was the guy stepping into that role. But, but anyway, let's say that there's a stud outside linebacker. That is a position of more value, generally speaking. Right? Yeah, but is there going to be a stud outside? Who's a stud outside linebacker that's available at the end of the first round? Like, Well, st- I mean, Clavon Chason maybe. Right. LSU, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Daniel Jeremiah has him as his 25th best prospect in this year's draft in his, on his big board. So is he in play for the Ravens there? Or, or maybe move up a little bit? I mean, A.J. Epinesta, what about him? Mm-hmm. He, he certainly could be. Um, so w- what about a wide receiver? Is that a position uh, of more value than inside linebacker per se, right, for the Ravens yeah. specifically? you know, a team that is, has gotten by, got by last year without a stud inside linebacker. And now, of course, you get a stud inside linebacker, it makes you that much better. But 
maybe it's all a bouncing act of, act of value here. Maybe T. Yeah. Higgins, if, if a wide receiver is there, like T. Higgins, is that, is that more valuable? You, you know, Gross Matos on the edge. It's, you bring up Daniel Jeremiah's list of top 50 prospects. He's got Queen at 15 and Murray at 18. So I yep. get your point. Like, I, I agree. Position-wise, position if you're talking about where you build your team and the most important positions on the field, inside linebackers is not at the top of the list. Um, so I understand that. Like, that makes sense. But I, I, do, I do think that um, – I. I don't know. I just, I, if I'm just saying, if either of those guys are there at 28 to think about going with another pick, another going in another direction there, that just would be really surprising to me. Cause I think you, cause they can be with be plug and play starters. And I think there is something to be said for you get a guy at the end of the first round who can be a starting difference maker for your defense from day one. You don't got to worry about it. I mean, how nice was it? For five years of C.J. Mosley, that you just knew he was going to go make every single tackle and and be one of the best players at that position. I think Queen or Murray have that potential of being that level of player at that position. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I I think they're in a little bit of a different mold than C.J. Mosley, which isn't a bad thing. You know, I I think they're a little bit more sideline to sideline speed playmaker as whereas C.J. was this kind of rock. I mean, downhill rock. And so maybe what I kind of like about them is you have this defensive line now that is going to do a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of run stopping and provide pass rush. Now you, ha- you add in a linebacker who's just a, a jack-of-all-trades, a great blitzer, a playmaker uh, in that kind of regard, and you set him loose just to create kind of chaos. Like, he doesn't have to be the safety blanket, right? Now that kind of suits – what I see from Kenneth Murray and Patrick Crean really well is send those guys, put them on the edge, put them a lot of blitzing, a lot of getting after quarterbacks. I, I like that, what they would bring in that way. But what I want to kind of talk about is who is the pick if it's not an inside linebacker? It's not one of those guys because there's so many people that say it is, uh, or like if there's any way that one of them is sitting on the board, that that's going to be the pick. What if it's not? Well, a, a player who, I, I've doused cold water on at the start, and it, it, his name hasn't been coming up lately in the mock drafts. Is DeAndre Swift, the running back from Georgia, and mm-hmm. the thinking on him that everybody who who's made that projection was just the best player available. And because that's the thing that I've really struggled with is that there's if if one of those linebackers isn't there, you're now into the fourth or fifth best receiver territory. Um, you're into the fourth or fifth best pass rusher. There's not a clear offensive lineman probably that would make sense there. Mm-hmm. So maybe you just take the best running back um, and you feel really good about it. And even if he's getting, I don't know, 30% of the carries this year, maybe that's fine. Maybe that, maybe right. that's fine. And, and he's going to be a bell cow running back for the next several years. Um, you know, eventually taking over from Mark Ingram down the road and, and in the immediacy, uh, he's a good backup to Ingram. Like, I'm starting to wonder if that could be the move. Yeah. I, 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 I don't see that one happening. I, I project a running back more in the third round, third to fourth, that maybe you can take a, a shot at a guy that can take over for Mark eventually. Yeah. Um, I just don't see a first-round pick on that right now. Uh, now, before they I, – I, I'm not opposed to a first-round running back. I think that having a dynamic running back in this offense – 
is hugely important. But the Ravens have that in Mark, right? And, and I yeah. guess I'm just not to the point where I'm ready to, to start finding his replacement yet. Yeah, I, that's the thing. I, I, and especially I, like spending big time draft capital on doing so. I right? know. Right. I think it's fine to take a shot on somebody in the middle rounds and say, well, maybe, maybe this guy really just impresses us and, and he eventually does take over for him. But I don't know. You know, and, and, and last year the Ravens kind of took a shot on Justice Hill in the middle rounds as a speed back, kind of yep. a change of pace guy. Maybe Justice could end up being a, a bell cow number one guy, but, you know, that was kind of a move that I think helped you now and provided a wrinkle to what you currently had. This year, if, I, if they take a shot, I see that on being somebody that could potentially be a number one, right? Like maybe they, they don't even see much time as a rookie because of Mark and, and whatnot but they could eventually take over for that role of being a lead guy. Mm-hmm. All right. So if it's the other, the other option and you brought this up is like an edge. So some of the guys who I think would make sense yeah. there could potentially be Yitor Gross Matos from Penn state. Uh, you could look at AJ Epineza from that's Iowa. A, that's, that's, that's my pick. That's <laughs> I, I thought you already had other picks. You're taking I'm not Epineza. locking it. I'm, no, 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 no. I'm just saying if under this scenario, if it's not going to be an inside linebacker, I think Epineza makes a lot of sense. I, because, I think he's a guy yeah, I think he's a guy that could slide because of the combine. And I just look at this guy and he just he kind of yells Raven to me. Right? I mean, big physical production. Uh all three of those are Raven. Just high motor, tough. Mm-hmm. All those things, you know, people are kind of questioning him because of the combine results. Whatever. We'll take that. We've done it time and time again. Hello, Terrell Suggs. Hello, Orlando Brown Jr. Uh, I mean, I'm just sitting here. Daniel Jeremiah has him at 26 in his top 50 players. He said, overall, Ebenezza is a high, very high floor as a prospect. He should be a consistent 8 to 10 sack performer at the very least. Sign me up. Yeah, if you get an 8 to 10 sack performer at any point, I mean, that's... He's a pro bowler. He's a pro bowler. He's a consistent pro bowler. <laughs> yeah, right. that's, that's Matthew Judon, who just went right. to the Pro Bowl and is talking, you know, people talk about him getting... He's a, and you see your franchise player, and if you were to get a long-term contract, he's probably talking $18 million a year or something like that. Right. So that's... If, 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 if he turns out to be that and you get him at 28, that would be an absolute home run, grand slam, whatever analogy you want to use. Yeah. I don't think he's going to be the pick. I don't you think don't he's going to be the pick. I, why don't you think he's going to be the pick? I... I think that he – I agree with him being the high floor guy. Seems to be a lower ceiling guy because of some of the intangibles – not intangibles, but some of the, the measurables. Um, and that's the combine stuff. Um, and Jeremiah's right was, was, Orlando, was Orlando Brown a low ceiling guy in your opinion? No, but I think that there's, there's a difference between offensive tackle running a 40 and then a – outside linebacker going through all those drills. I do think that there's a difference in the value that you place on the combine, depending on the position that they play. Um, But I, I think Ebenezer could be a really good player. I just, I think that, you know, last year, my attitude, when we talked about how all this was going to go, we looked at wide receiver and we were both all in on AJ Brown felt like he'd be the, he was the the higher floor, maybe lower ceiling guy as we talked about it. And the Ravens went with the higher ceiling option in Hollywood Brown. I just felt like that, that might be the, the new norm, is that they go for guys uh, that have a higher ceiling, particularly in the first round. Hmm. 
Okay. That's why, and then we were talking earlier this week about Patrick Queen or Kenneth Murray. Although I think those two are, are neck and neck. They're right there next to each other. I don't think there's a huge difference and you'd be happy with either of them. But why I shaded towards Queen a little bit for the same reason. Okay. So you're thinking T. Higgins. I hope so. Yeah, T. Higgins could certainly be that guy. If you go wide receiver, I think T. Higgins is somebody that you could be really fired up about. I mean, he's a big guy. <laughs> like, if you were to put him in this offense, I, I think he could be a impact player from day one. And I like him a lot. I think that there's a lot to be excited about if they were to go with T. Higgins. Um, Can I just say, I'll, I'll be surprised if it's a first-round wide receiver. I would, too. The value I, that, that exists in the second round. Well, that's now, maybe I, the Ravens feel like by the time they get up on the, in the second round, all these guys are going to be gone. You know, yeah. I could see them trading up in the second round and trying to get somebody, yeah. um, trying to pick a, a wide receiver before they're off, because I think a lot of teams are looking at the second round as that's where I get my wide receiver. Yeah. Um, but – I, I'm I with you on that. Like, like I'm, I am, I am, I, w- I would be surprised if they go back to back receiver, especially when the offense was already uh, the best offense in the NFL. And it's not like the biggest need on the team. But when you talk about a high ceiling and finding young guys to pair with Lamar, I just wouldn't be shocked if it were a T. Higgins. I, I really, as I've said a million times, I would love to find the offensive lineman to take there. I really yep. would, but I don't know who that is. Like uh, the Michigan center. Has been has come up, uh, Caesar Ruiz or Caesar, um, yeah. yeah, Caesar Ruiz, right? Yeah. Um, to me, I feel like he might be more the second round option. You hope that you can get him in the second round, as opposed to like I would think about a tackle or a, like someone who's not you're not convinced he could be a tackle in the NFL, and so as a result of that, he's falls to the end of the first round, and we take him. It's like, oh, well, we never were planning to put him at tackle. Just put him at guard, and you're set. Uh, but I don't know who that guy is. It just doesn't seem to be somebody who's in that late first territory. Now, Cody Ford was somebody last year who ended up falling. And remember, we spent a lot of time talking about him, the offensive lineman mm-hmm. from Oklahoma. He ended up being there in the Ravens' past. So maybe there's a guy on the offensive line, and it was kind of the same reason for him. Uh, maybe there ends up being a guy there like a Cody Ford who does fall. But based on the projections of the mocks right now, I don't know who that is. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with you. Yeah, I, I Caesar Reese, I, th- I think would be an interesting second round target, maybe a, a trade up guy potentially. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you're talking about a probably the best interior uh, player in this year's draft. So coming out of Michigan, so the Ravens will have a little bit more knowledge about him uh, during these crazy COVID times. They can get a, a good scouting report on him from Jim Harbaugh. Yep. So. I'd be interested if he were to slide into the middle of the second round, I think the Ravens would give a very hard look at him. Yeah. Uh, but I agree with you. It doesn't seem like there's a first round interior got offensive lineman for Baltimore this year. Awesome. Yeah, I agree. All right. So with all that said, let's get into the real draft, <laughs> the most important draft. And that is our bunker draft. Yep. Yep. And I've, I've, uh, been pretty forthright about saying I have a dope bunker. Mm-hmm. I am very fortunate that my wife jumped on things early here. Literally haven't left the house in three weeks. So you basically went when they talk about people hoarding food and preventing other people from getting groceries, you're the problem. Well that hey that hasn't <laughs> been I haven't heard that. Not people will be getting people can go to the grocery store. It's uh, just how many trips you make to the grocery store, right? I'm trying to not make any trips to the grocery store. Right. 
Right. No, I, I feel you, but there's still food. So it's not like that's really been a problem, but early on when the, when the grocery stores were completely yeah. depleted because of hoarders, you were the yes. problem. You and people wait, pay, people waiting in line for three hours to get a roll of toilet paper. Yeah. I was yucking it up at the toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> I should, I should, well, it's toilet paper. So I can laugh at that. Um, <laughs> but anyway, yes, I was like, you all late to the party. I was, my wife had me prepared. Anyway, all right, let's get into the draft here. Okay. We have 12 items. I'll, I'll, run, I'll, I'll run through them here. All right. So, okay, go ahead. Yeah, I'll run through the list here. And we're going to go through here's, here it is peanut butter, frozen pizza, canned beans, cliff bars, pasta, cereal, toilet paper. As I'm here, you talk about it. I know where you're going. Applesauce, canned tuna, bottled water, ramen soup, and coffee. Okay. That's 12, okay. right? Yeah, that's 12. All right. So that's- Rock, paper, scissors? Yeah, it's a little more difficult to do rock, paper, scissors, you know, when we're not actually face-to-face, but we'll give it a shot here. Now, that, wait, just for just to make this clear, this isn't like based off of what we already have. This is like if we're starting a bunker from scratch, what are we buying? Right, and you know what? Uh, something else we should say, and we've done this for other drafts, something we intentionally left out before you hit, hit us up and say, oh, man, you forgot beer or- we left that off because we always do that. And then it ends up being the same joke every time where we say, enjoy your dry bunker quarantine time. <laughs> it's the same thing because we only have so many jokes. So we decided to leave that off this time. That's, That's intentional. Good point. Good point. Yes. All right. Ready? All rock. Right. Paper. Rock, paper. Scissors. Shoot. Oh, yeah. Rock. <laughs> ah. All right. Ugh. Well, I guess I should have had a first-round pick ready to go, huh? Um, yeah, you probably should have. This is – oh, you the clock ran out. Clock ran out. You're off the clock. I'm on the clock. No. Yeah. I'll go with first – This is a Jimmy Smith situation. No. I'm going to go with my first overall pick. I'm going to go peanut butter. Oh, that's the shot to the heart. <laughs> oh, that's a shot to the heart. I'm a peanut butter guy. I know. Well, you just talked about all the peanut butter you've been stealing from the podcast oh. – or from the, from the facility. Uh I'm going to enjoy all of it. Thanks. You, you collected it all for me. You gave it to me on our last day out of the building. Thank you so much. <laughs> Update. I still have a couple left. I, am, <laughs> I, don't, I don't give it to the kids. That's only for me. And I can, I'm good at savoring things. Right. Got a couple tubs left. All right. Easy second, easy pick for me. And this is probably, honestly, better than peanut butter. And that's frozen pizza. Because yeah. there's no better food in the world than pizza. I'll, the, now, the frozen stuff sucks in comparison to the, the fresh sure. stuff like what is the orange sauce on frozen pizza why is this tomato sauce orange <laughs> i don't get it i don't get it but i'll tell you what my birthday is coming up in a couple weeks and you're darn right i know what i'm having for dinner and that's a frozen pizza. <laughs> i do i do like frozen pizza obviously it's not as good as you know delivery but frozen pizza is still good we're not and- talking elio's we're not talking elio's and I, I, I had a lot of elio's my day. huh Tostinos, the one dollar. Those that was my specialty in college. Tostinos for one dollar. Oh, those. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the bottom of the barrel. Um. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Here I go. Um. I am gonna go with my second pick. I'm going pasta. Okay. Versatile. Yeah. I mean, this is. It obviously never goes bad. You need to have. If you need a meal, it always works. It's a good pick. Good pick. Safe pick. Safe. A solid safe pick. I would, I would agree with that. All right. I'm going cereal. That's a Just good. I a like lot, that. 
Yeah. Wide range, wide range of possibilities. You can have it breakfast, lunch, dinner. I have it about midnight. Yeah, it's, a, it's often a dessert. I've got a couple dessert cereals in my mm-hmm. bunker, some Cinnamon Toast Crunch. And uh, he, right. And here's the thing. I'm going peanut butter, Captain Crunch. So I get my peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs> That's the All best. Right. All right. Here we go. Third round pick for me. The item that you talked about storing up from day one is toilet paper. I'm no, just, terrible pick. Terrible you, pick. You just spent all this time talking about how you loaded up on it. Uh, you needed it. You were laughing at all these people who were in line waiting for it. So now you're going to be in line waiting for it. I've got it. You, nah. I'm I got my bidet. I've got my bidet. <laughs> I'm washing my butt. If worse comes to worse, I can just take a shower. It's fine. I, know, I, just, I don't want to spend too go. much time. I don't want to spend too much time talking about that one, but that's a great pick for me to get it in the third round. <laughs> I just go straight from the hopper to the shower. Good to go. <laughs> All right. It's a terrible pick because you're going hungry. I'm getting something that's real sustenance, right? I've got pizza, cereal. Like, it's not really healthy, right? I'm getting canned beans. Canned beans are great. Very healthy, high in protein, black beans. You can have them on your eggs. You can, oh, it's just, it's just great. It's a, it's a terrible pick. Um, no, it's not. It, that, that is an absolute... If you are canned beans are great if you are in a true a, a true bunker situation where you can't leave for years and all your only option is to eat canned beans. When's the last time? Are you kidding me? That when's the last time outside of this that you said, you know what I want for dinner tonight? Let's let's fire up some canned beans. I want well, some of these canned beans. Well, here's the thing: you don't have canned beans solo, obviously, but a little canned beans <laughs> on my pizza? Sure, why not? Just Ew. <laughs> It's terrible. I'm just, I'm just kidding. Terrible. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but canned beans on eggs, canned wow. beans, you can, they're very versatile. Very no. versatile. I, my pick here, I'm going Cliff Bars. That oh, is, that, no, no. That is a great, great thing that can, if you need some protein, you, sometimes you need just some good sustenance and protein. And that's what a good granola bar can provide you. No. I feel hungry after eating a Cliff Bar about 30 minutes later. Cliff bars make me more hungry. You know what I, I would have this, to eat? I eat this and I'm like, I wish I ate something that was actually food. No, that's like if you eat, if you need to cleanse your palate after eating a thing of canned beans, you're like, give me something to cleanse my palate that's actually good. Give me one of those cliff bars. No, no, no. Okay. This one, this is a great pick by me. Ramen soup. Ramen soup will get you through the toughest of times. I'm telling you, when the world is melting down, when there's nothing. You know, we just have <laughs> nukes getting dropped on us and stuff. Ramen soup's going to survive, right? It's like, what are the, what's that animal that would survive anything? It's a cockroach. It's, it's a cockroach of food. Yeah, well, it's that's... Like, the, it's a cockroach of food. Enjoy the cockroach of food. Enjoy the cockroach <laughs> of food. Hey, that's here's what the how you know are all about, man. Here's how you know you're having a bad draft when you have to defend your picks by saying, I got a great pick. This is a cockroach. Great pick on my part. <laughs> all right. Here... I'm between a couple here, and I, we didn't specify like how dire the bunker situation is. Um, I know where you're going. Right. You know, I'm like trying to decide. I just talked through it. You know, do you take bottled water here, or do you have running tap water? You know, there's running tap water that's in place right now. So I'm just going to assume that under these circumstances, that it's it's as is, that we still have running water. So I'm going to pass on bottled water. I'm going to go ahead and take tuna. Again, protein. Ew. It is a strong, Ew. 
you can put it on sandwiches. It can be a, a, a dinner. It's, it's, you know, it's not a, I don't love canned tuna, but when we're, when we're in a bunker situation to get it as a late pick, I'm happy with that. Canned tuna is disgusting. It's not I great, would rather but, eat anything on this list than canned but tuna. But here's the thing. You also got to talk about balance. You know, when you got – I got my ramen soup and my beans. There's – it's not – And that's pizza. Not, well, pizza's a great pick. Pizza's the, the winner. <laughs> you know, that's a great pick. It should have um, been the number one overall pick, but you blew nah, it. Peanut butter. Peanut butter. Protein. Protein. Peanut butter. Cliff bars. You got to get that sustenance. Tuna. Protein. <laughs> All right. I'm taking – so what do we have left here? We have applesauce, coffee, and bottled water. I get two of the three. Ooh, this is a tricky one. This is a tricky one. <laughs> I'm taking applesauce. I'm taking oh, applesauce. God. Just one bite of beans, another bite of applesauce, a little sweetness. Applesauce is pretty solid. It's healthy, sugary, gives you a little pick-me-up. Applesauce is great. You know, and I, have, some, I, have, I have cinnamon in my bunker, so I sprinkle a little cinnamon on there. That adds a little something nice. Applesauce is, is not something I, I've eaten once I've been double digits in age. Once I got to 10 plus. That's a lie. I haven't had applesauce, so that's, that's a, a bad lie. pick. I knew that you were going to take that when you put it on the list. I was like, that's a classic mink item, applesauce. Who <laughs> eats applesauce? But I'm not surprised you picked it. So now it's between bottled water and coffee. And I'm going to – I like – I love coffee. But in a bunker situation, emergency situation, I would much rather have bottled water at my disposal instead of coffee. I'm going to have, I would rather have the emergency supply of water. Well, you're an idiot because obviously with coffee, I have water to brew my coffee. So no, it's, the water's it's, it's already spoiled, on. It's spoiled water. You, you, spoiled already, water. you already said we're in our current situation. We have water. That you, was were for, those, you were those people that were buying tons of bottled water when this all started going down. And I was like, what are you doing? It's not like the water's shut off. Yeah, but you're that person. I, you know, in my in my rationale for the last pick, it was our current situation. But now in the yes. rationale for the last for the last pick, you need to really think about things getting drastically different. And so I'm just an emergency bunker prepper here. So I've got bottled water. Enjoy your coffee beans with your spoiled water because the tap water doesn't work anymore. So enjoy. I'll just, I'll just chew them up. <laughs> Also, by the way, how are you going to do your cereal with no milk? I got milk. Who said I didn't have milk? <laughs> you see cows wandering around? I, I don't see cows wandering around Silver Spring. You going to go out there and milk those? <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll milk my cat. <laughs> all right. That, that is about all we have time for. We've done enough here. So, um, We're talking about milking cats. Yeah. We love to hear from you guys. Tell us what you think. First of all, tell us what you think won the draft. I think just as a quick, quick recap, I end up with peanut butter, Cliff Bars, pasta, toilet paper, canned tuna, and bottled water. Mink ends up with frozen pizza, canned beans, cereal, applesauce, bad, bad, bad picks, and then coffee. Um, no, and ramen soup. And ramen, and ramen soup. soup. Forget and my cockroach. Soup. Sorry, the cockroach. Uh, so tell us who you think won. Another clear victory by me. You can email us at the lounge at ravens.nfl.net. And uh, we would love to hear from you guys. Also, let us know what things you've got in your bunker that uh, we forgot to include. So uh, we've got some more good stuff coming this week. We are going to be joined by Derek Wolf, the newest Raven. Uh, he is going to be on the podcast. Also, we're going to catch up with Tomorrow. Mark Andrews. Yep, yep. And we're also going to catch up with Mark Andrews. So uh, 
more great stuff coming your way. And uh, we appreciate you guys listening every single week, every single day, not every single week, every single day. <laughs> Do you forget we're daily? I, I, you know, it's kind of a habit. It's a habit. So, <laughs> all right. Thanks so much for listening. And we will be back with you tomorrow. Bye.